Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Artis, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everybody. I'm also a grateful member of Al-Anon, and um, I just celebrated my Al-Anon birthday yesterday. I have 18 years. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, and I want to thank the committee and Peggy for, I can't believe they asked a drunk like me to come to Austin. And I am in Austin, right? <laughs> and... Uh, I want to thank the committee for, uh, I have a beautiful room. Uh, I got a beautiful basket. Did the other speakers get baskets? <laughs> did, uh, did yours all have a $100 bill in it? <laughs> Let me tell you, I go to, uh, not as a speaker all the time, I go to conferences on my own two, at least two a year. And uh, I have to tell you, these are the best workshops I've ever been in, in my host sobriety. And I've been in some good workshops. And uh, I want to thank them. And you'll know they're good if you're teachable. (laughs) And uh, it's just a good conference. And I like the small ones. And... um, and, and it just amazed me how comfortable I am here. And so I'm going to mo- No, I better. <laughs> We're so impulsive about everything we do. I'm going to move here. Uh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but I'm real nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm sweating. And I, I know it, it looks easy to speak. And you can ask Don. It is not. It is very. We have internal struggles. And uh, to get up here and. Uh, to let go and let God. So there are a few things I like to share before I start my story. And uh, uh, it's only, I mean, you can go to sleep. This is for me. Uh, <laughs> but for the newcomer who's here tonight, uh, first of all, I want to personally welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. And not to embarrass you, but to, to let us know who you are. Could you stand up if you have under uh, six months of sobriety? I want to pers- personally welcome you, and uh, and and I've been—I I know it's hard to believe, but I used to have six months of sobriety just like you. <laughs> All of us did, and uh, and for because you're new and in early sobriety, I want to explain uh, that no one speaks for Alcoholics Anonymous. Every speaker you hear here, I don't represent AA. Guess what? I don't even have to promote AA. AA is not for sale. Uh, we don't promote it. I'm just a drunk up here to tell you in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like today because I came into AA. But I don't re- I, I represent AA. The other thing is uh, I'll give you your first piece of reality. Uh, when I was sitting out there, I remember a speaker giving me my first piece. It took a while to grasp it. But not everybody in this room will die sober. And, and that's the reality of our recovery. I have lots of fun in AA. AA is my life, and, uh, but I also believe it's a life and death journey. 
The other thing is, is that I try, I, I, I try to share from my heart and not my head. And um, it's taken a long time to get down there. <laughs> and uh, so I, if I say anything that offends you, I want you to call your sponsor. I want you to tell your sponsor exactly what I said that offended you. And if your sponsor is good like mine, she'll make you read Freedom from Bondage in the back of the big book. And you'll have to pray for me for 14 days. And I will be out here on the dance floor. I'll be in bed. You'll be praying for me. The only reason I know that is because I have done it. Over and over and over. Every time someone offends me in AA, I'm upstairs praying. And they're down here having a good time. So, just a little tool you could use. The other thing is I have tools today. And I, I, I wish uh, I have no original thoughts or solutions. I've learned everything from you. Isn't it funny that the speaker... Tells what it's like, and like even Don, you know, everything he said I could relate to. I, I just love his story. I loved all the speakers. I just think they're wonderful. And I, I still go to speaker meetings to hear what I need to hear. And um, when, when, I, when I tell or share a tool with you, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't create it. It was handed to me through Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. It was given to me. And if I had any original thoughts or any... Uh, original tools, I would charge you to hear this. And uh, I don't, so I'm not charging anything. So I, I, I really believe in giving away what was given to me. So I don't have any original thoughts or solutions. Thank you. And, uh, and so I, those are the things I have to remember when I get behind the podium, is that uh, my primary purpose is to share my experience, strength, and hope, and carry the message. But if all of you got out of this room and walked out, I'd still tell my story because it's for me. And I have to remember that sometimes and that, that I'm not an entertainer and that if you get anything out of my talk, it's a byproduct, byproduct of this program. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that was given to me through love and, and, and patience and tolerance in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, we admitted we're powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. It's a very simple step to read it. But I honestly have to tell you, I did not understand that step. My mother was a bartender. My father was a customer. And <laughs> when, you, when you think about it, I was raised in beer joints and nightclubs. And I drank when bacon and eggs was good for you. And the lesbians protected the gay guys. <laughs> Honey, we used to protect them so much. I loved those days. They'd come running into bars screaming, straight men are after us, and we'd go out there with bow bats, and we just, it was just the wildest life I ever had. And, uh, and I don't know what happened to the gay guys. They traded their feathers for leather, and I don't know. But I was, I was sharing down here at this table, have you ever seen two gay guys fight? It is the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. I still laugh when I see two gay guys fight. They don't know how to fight where shit, and you can. And I was one of those lesbians that tried to teach them. And it just never worked. 
So God love him. I'm, uh, I, I'm still hanging out with the gay guys. <laughs> but um, that was where I came from, where, where those things were, were part of uh, before AIDS. And, and that was my drinking life. The, the, my mother ran a, a, a ball-scratching, redneck country bar and in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, and I would be there during the day. And then at night, when they got all drunk and didn't notice me, I left and went to the gay the gay world was underground then, and you had to have a nickname to get in. Nobody used their real name. Mine was Gil. <laughs> oh, oh, from a fish. <laughs> so anyway, we go to the bars, we dance all night, drink all night, and, then, and this is high school. And, uh, <laughs> and then I go to school, and... That was my life till I came to you. I honestly never met a sober person till I came to AA. I think sober people were weird. Uh, they never fit in to the lifestyle that I was in, and my my family certainly uh, never liked sobriety, and um, and I just never heard of it. It was just not part of my repertoire. And I think when I saw that first step, I just couldn't understand what you were talking about, and I never heard the word sobriety. We didn't use it in a bar, like, how's your sobriety? I mean, I just never heard that kind of talk in a bar. And um, I just found out when I sobered up, it's not penis colada. <laughs> I did not know that. The guys always ordered two penis coladas. So I, I learned a lot when I came into recovery. I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I was... I looked at the step when I came to you. I came through. Uh, um, uh, they told me at work that you know I, I had a little problem, and uh, I went to a treatment center in 1980. And it and and I certainly respect treatment centers, but it didn't work for me. And I left it after 30 days and went straight to a gay bar and told him I just come from a treatment center. We had no idea why, but. That's the way it was. You just did that. You just went, and then you'd go to the bar and talk about what they did in this treatment center. And uh, I just couldn't understand why you wanted to be sober. That was the part that was blowing me away all the time because I never thought alcohol was the problem. Uh, I loved in the 12 and 12 where it talks about alcohol is only a symptom. It took me a long time to understand that. It wasn't very, very uh, uh, easy for me. I would take my vacations and go to mental institutions. Uh, I, I couldn't only handle life so long, and then I'd break down, and I, I, and I pre-registered myself so that when it happened, I didn't have to, I didn't have to go through all. You know, the worst thing you want to do when you're suicidal and depressed and bipolar and multiple personalities is tell them your Social Security number. So I would pre-register, and they'd see me, oh, that's artist, send her up to three, and they detox me, and I'd go through that, and, and at work they thought I was in the Bahamas. And then I'd have to lie, go back and tell them, oh, yeah, Bahamas was great. No tan. <laughs> White as a sheet, pale, on medication. Uh, this cycle went on till I came to you. And uh, I, 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 my life has just been uh, a nightmare, but I didn't know it. I thought that's the way everybody was. And uh, I used three basic things. I, I took everything, but there were three that kept me going all those years before I got to you. I took, uh, you know, quaaludes, 
and cocaine and bourbon. And what I would do was I would get up, and the minute I got up, I used to have a list on my bathroom mirror of, you know, take a hit of speed, and I'll be sure you get this by 2 o'clock. I was trying to control everything, and um, I would go to the bars. I'd take a shot of bourbon. I love straight whiskey. I didn't drink sissy drinks till I didn't have money. <laughs> and then if you bought one, fine. And uh, my mom always had moonshine. They had moon bootleggers. Uh, Barry Switzer's grandfather actually was our bootlegger, uh, his father, I mean. And uh, so there was a lot of hardcore liquor, and, and that's when you get to that vroom real quick, you know. And I would drink uh, shots of bourbon, go, go to my mother's country and western bar, sit there and talk, <clears throat> you know, like I was a heterosexual. Oh, that reminds me. <laughs> I'm in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, population 7,823, and every woman there looks gay. <laughs> it is the weirdest thing. And <laughs> no offense to you, you pop-up lesbians, but I'm a real lesbian. I'm a thoroughbred. I, I've never been with a man. I, don't, I never touched it. I... <laughs> There are some of us still around. Uh, there are some gay guys just like me. Oh, we get together, we laugh so hard that we've never, you know. Anyway. <laughs> it, and I, when I went there, I looked like the heterosexual. And there, it's funny to see a woman with a burr haircut driving a snowmobile with a voice. And I said, how you doing? I gotta go cook my husband's dinner. It is so weird. I couldn't get over it for a long time. I would call back to Miami and tell, oh, I got that. No, 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 no. But anyway, I'm at the bar, at the head of sexual bar, the cowboy bar. I've been playing pool since I was four. My, I have seven brothers, Tommy, Ronnie, Warner, Gary, John, Wayne, and David. I know. And that's not why I'm gay. <laughs> I was born this way. And... Um, I would go to that bar, and I remember couldn't wait to get to the gay bar because, you know, we had to do that straight thing during the day, and at night we were gill. <laughs> and I'd go to the bar, and we'd just dance and have a good time. And I learned that when I came to, came to that uh, all the things that, that Don was talking about and Tom and all, and all the speakers carry, too. Every, everything said, I've had a part of. And... Um, I would be in the, the bars, and I'd go to the, the gay bars, and, and it was a whole different world to me. It's where I belonged, and it was camaraderie then. We didn't have gay bo uh, men's bars and girls' bars. We had a bar, and we didn't have homosexual lesbians. We had queers, and we had codes, and we had little rings, and we had, I mean, it was like a secret club. And we were that way for a long time, and... Uh, I came, I got, when I came to you, I didn't come to you through uh, thinking about a drink. I came to you because I passed over an invisible line. Uh, alcohol and drugs was my personality. I had a synthetic personality. It was based on a lot of stuff, and I was dynamite. Uh, you know, that song, When She Walked Through the Door, boom, boom. That was me. And, but I had to have all my chemicals in a row to look and feel like that. And uh, God knows I was ugly as mud, but it didn't feel that way. And that's all that mattered is I didn't feel. And um, I went in and I would go to the bars and 
And when I, when I hit the bottom that got, got me to you, I was in a, a mental institution, and uh, the, the drug, I couldn't go in feeling doom, doom, you know. I couldn't go in feeling, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I kept thinking, uh, like the book said, I thought maybe the, they were watering down things, and I wasn't getting it anymore. And this went on for years, in and out of institutions, trying to go back to the bars and be, feel that, that high that we get. And it just wasn't there. And it seemed like it got, my life just went into deep, the most deepest, darkest place I've ever been. And um, I, I hit this bottom. And I, was in, and, and I had been in AA from 1980 to 1983. My sobriety date for y'all Texans is uh, August 5th, 1983. And from 1980 to 1983, I was in and out of AA. But you, I didn't understand what you were doing getting sober. You, I couldn't hear anything. This is what you sound like to a newcomer. It's like, that's a newcomer not detox yet. That's, that's what you sound like. I couldn't, and you laugh at the stupidest stuff. And... Uh, I just couldn't, and I, I got a year once on Zomax, and I, I got up to get a, I did, I got a year, I didn't drink any booze, but I took every medication and pill you could think of. I was at your AA dance popping pills, you know, I said, this, I guess this is what you do, they just don't want to drink. <laughs> but, um, and I got the, the, the one year, and we went out and celebrated, and got drunk. I mean, that's. I thought that's what you were doing. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear anything. I just, I would sit in the meetings and I, like one of the speakers said, so you can mow your lawn. And, you know, I couldn't understand what was the big deal about not drinking. And I was in this mental institution uh, in Tulsa and uh, it's been, I'd been to so many and they were so used to me. And I decided to get off everything and uh, just kill myself sober. <laughs> just an, uh, something different. And uh, so I had, the, the psychiatrist told me, uh, now I love alcoholic thinking because I still have it. It's not, it's, it's, it's uh, suppressed contention on my spiritual condition. But I had this alcoholic thinking and when I was in the mental institution they would, uh, they, you know, put you through the ink block test and the 389 questions, and 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 then the, I went through all that all the time, and I I I'm uh, I was being as honest as I could, as as crazy as I was between drunks, because you see, I went to jail between drunks. I didn't go to jail drunk. I went, if I didn't have a drink, I was a looney tune. and 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 uh, they arrested me between drunks, and they could never put they put. Public nuisance. Well, I would rather be a drunk than a public nuisance. <laughs> but that's why they, I, I, and they, and I would go to bars if I didn't, they, if I didn't have a drink, they, my friends would say, give her a drink. And, you know, the guys would just make sure I was sedated all the time. And I just loved them because they always made sure I had booze and pills because they couldn't deal with me in between. And um, I was in this mental institution, and the psychiatrist, they had the ink, ink block test, and they would tell me, okay, what do you see? And I said, ink blocks. 
And they would say, no, 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 come on, work, get, feel it, go, go deep. <laughs> and I, I really didn't see anything but ink blocks. But, you know, he, he, I remember he looked at his watch. He's, you know, he's paid by the hour. He could care less about me. He wants to go home. He's got to get me to see something. So I'm in the medical field, so I said, oh, okay, 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 I got it. I see vaginal canal and bilateral ovarian cysts. <laughs> and he wrote it down. Oh, that's good, good, good. <laughs> so... So the psychiatrist takes me in his office and he says, Artist, now you got to remember, I went to AA for three years, but I never stayed sober, in and out, in and out. I don't hardly remember much of it. And, um, but he said uh, this to me. He said, Artist, I don't think you're an alcoholic or a drug addict. I think you have grave emotional and mental disorders. And I sat there and went, I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> Somebody else has told me that. He said, well, we're going to put artists, you'll never be able to function in society. You're going to have to be medicated. We'll try and get you a place that, you know, where the, oh, God, I don't know where he was going to send me. But the first thing I thought of was, oh, I would like a pass to go to AA meeting. He said, I just told you you weren't an alcoholic. I said, ah. I said, but I want to go to AA. He said, do you not hear me? I said, I hear you, but I want to go to AA. Because what happens to an alcoholic if you tell, you tell him to go north? They'll go south. Just automatic. All of a sudden, I want, I want to go to AA. Because <laughs> he told me I wasn't. You had been telling me I was, so I didn't want to go to AA. Now they tell me I'm not, I want to go to AA. Made sense to me. So I go, he gives me a pass. Now, for almost three months, I'm in AA, but I'm not using a sponsor. I, that's when you sound like you're underwater, and I'm sitting there. I think, well, maybe I thought I, there was something here for me. But I would listen to how, how it works. I would listen to it very carefully. And it sounded like all sounded garbage except uh, those two with grave emotional and mental disorders. They too can recover if they had the capacity to be honest. Had no idea what it meant. But for some reason, that was the only thing I could hear. And I, I gave up because I thought, well, now, there were no gay meetings in Tulsa at the time. There was a gay, there were gay, gay people sober, but they were meeting. They were a little elite. The gay community didn't even care for me by <laughs> So they were meeting at a house or something. I remember them saying, you can come, but we don't want you screaming, getting up, touch the furniture, don't go in the kitchen. <laughs> and I just said, no, thank you. And I didn't even know it was a meeting. I thought it was a bunch of gays getting together. But there weren't any gay people and, uh, in the meetings. And, and I just for a while thought... It must be for heterosexual suburban, you know. I, I, I didn't think it was. People like me weren't going to get sober in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, so I, I went to my office, and I went to maintenance, and I got a, I got a, a rope. I was going to hang myself into my office. Why I want It's a cowboy thing, I think. And I went, and I remember they gave me a phone list when I first came in, and I never used it. But for some reason, I wanted to call. And, and tell somebody I was dead so that the body wouldn't rot away. And that's how my mind was. I was beyond co common sense. And I, I started dialing. And this was before cell phones and voice messages and recorders. This was when they answered the phone. <laughs> and uh, 
<laughs> no one was home, disconnected, busy. I about gave up and this woman answers and I said, hello, you, I still can't hardly go through this part without remembering that I was at the turning point. The theme of your, I was there. I know what the, tur- the turning point is. And I said, uh, you probably don't remember me, but I'm an artist, and I was going to meetings, and it doesn't work, and I'm just going to kill myself my life. I can't sleep. I can't stay awake. I can't eat. I, my mind can't stop. I, I see things that aren't there. I said, I'm just, I'm just tired. I just want to, I just, I don't want any pity. I just want to kill myself. I just want somebody to know so they come and get the body. And she said, I'm going to put you on hold. <laughs> And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I waited. I waited and waited. I remember waiting. And that's the part that just baffles me about me. <laughs> we're alcoholics. We're wondering, well, what does she want? What is she going to say? I'm in the middle of a suicide here. <laughs> and... She said, let me get this straight. You've been to AA and it works and it doesn't work. And I, you've worked it and it doesn't work. And I said, yeah, I've worked it and it doesn't I worked it, right? I worked the thing. You hear it all the time. I love it when somebody comes up to me and says, I, I worked it and it didn't work. Don't come up to me and say that. Uh, anyway, I, 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 and it didn't work. And she said, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. Would you meet me for coffee at 5 o'clock and we'll talk about it? And if, if you still feel the same, you can go ahead and kill yourself. And I said, okay. And <laughs> hi off the phone, just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. I don't know why I just did that. It was the turning point. I just said, okay, hang up. I thought, okay, I'll meet her at 5 and we'll get it over with and I'll go on and kill myself. And I met her at 5 and she said something very, and you know, one thing about this woman, and a lot of women have sponsored me in a, in Al-Anon, and uh, they're still my sponsors today. I've never fired a sponsor. I have been fired. And I always let them know I didn't work for you. And, uh, <laughs> but she, we were sitting there and she said, now let me get this straight. You worked AA and it doesn't work for you. And I went, yes. And she goes, well, do you believe in a power greater than yourself? And I said, oh, I believe in God. My God, I'm raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Or Roberts, hello. <laughs> and she said, I didn't ask you if you believed in God. I asked you, do you believe in a power greater than yourself? And I sat there and went, hmm. A power greater than me. Thought about it. Thought about it. Thought about it. I'm very self-sufficient. Put myself through high school, college. I was so self-sufficient. I had a home, but I bought a camper in case I lost the home. I had two cars in case one didn't work. I would have the other one, so I certainly didn't have to borrow a car. I had seven watches, so I never had to ask you what time it was. I had, I had two savings accounts, one in case that one bank went under. Now, I don't, <laughs> I, I had, a, I want power greater than me. I, I don't know what you mean, is what I told her. I, I believe in God. She goes, God, that's not working for you, girl. So she asked me to do a real simple thing. And she said to me, she said, here's what I want you to do. If you will let me do your thinking for you, just till I get you through the steps. If you, by the time I get you to the 12th step, if nothing changes, nothing changes. But, but it, you can go ahead and kill yourself. But you have to do what I tell you to do. And I said, let me get this straight. 
you want me to go do whatever you tell me to do, and then when it doesn't work, if uh, and I never believed it would work, th- then I can go ahead and kill myself? She said, yes. And I said, in a meeting? She said, yes. <laughs> so I said, it's a deal. I said, you got a deal. Now, the insane thing about alcoholic thinking is that I'm going to prove her wrong so that I can kill myself in a meeting. That's, that's how I thought inside. I didn't think, oh, I hope this works. Oh, my God. I'll go, I'll show her it won't work. Thinks she knows everything. So what happened was she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, get on your knees. and Oh, by the way, she's, your higher power doesn't work. It's, it's really kind of wimpy. I go, I don't, what? I said, I believe in God. She goes, we're not going to use God because you don't, God isn't about God. It's about a power greater than me, which I really didn't believe in, but I believed in God. And um, I kind of made God equal. <laughs> and uh, so she said, uh, use my higher power artist. Just use my higher power. Well, I had no idea who her higher power was. And you know, it's funny, I didn't ask her, but I could see it. I could see it in her. So there was something about this woman, and it wasn't a lesbian attraction at all. Uh, that's the first time I ever looked at a woman, and it wasn't a lesbian attraction. I don't know. And she, you know what? And she told me, you know, her, that night she came to meet me, her husband had just left her for a younger woman in AA. Her children had just abandoned her. And she's sitting on a Wednesday night, raining like shit, and, and, and she's sitting there talking to me. A, a person that nobody even wanted to sit next to in AA. And I saw, I didn't know it was her higher power, but that's what I was seeing in her. I said, what do you mean use your higher power? She says, well, when you get on your knees tonight, just say, Beverly said. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I said, let me, now I go home and do this. And she goes, that's right. And, you know, she did, I did, I went home. I, and she said, oh, by the way, artist, don't put your two cents worth in. And I said, okay, sure. So I go home, I get on my knees, and I, Beverly said, thank you for today, all the good, all the bad. But personally, (laughs) I don't think you care two cents about me, and I'm just going to show her that this is all a joke. It's all for heteros. Thank you. Amen. That's how I said it, something like that. I paraphrase it because you can't remember everything. So then she had me call her every morning before I went to work. And the reason is uh, she told me she wanted to, 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 for me to learn to reach out. I didn't know that at the time. I thought, why did she ever call me? Have you ever wondered why your sponsors don't call you? Uh, because she wanted me to learn to reach out and not her. She, didn't, she had Al-Anon. Hello. She's not going to rescue me going to teach me to have a relationship with a higher power that works so I call her every morning we're going to meetings now okay I'm throwing up between meetings I'm sweating like a pig and uh, there was something a little so strange about me and she kind of worked on that I I I carried a tape recorder and a gun in my boot (laughs) and she asked me if I (laughs) could kind of leave the gun at home (laughs) and she said why do you carry that tape recorder I said because At that meeting, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to tape it. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. It was like, 
She said, okay. So we're going to meetings, and I'm going to give you a tool. There there are many turning points in Alcoholics Anonymous. You won't recognize half of them and not tell you past it like I was. But um, I'm sitting in the meetings, and now I, I can't hear you still. I I hear, hear you, but I can't hear you. I know what you, you know what that means. I heard what you were saying, but it wasn't clicking. Even the first step I didn't understand. We are, we are powerless. And she said, artists, we're going to go to the steps. We admitted we're powerless over alcohol and our lives are unmanageable. What does that mean? She said, well, I said, I guess it means that I, 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 I'm powerless over something. She goes, yeah, alcohol. I said, you mean taking a shot of bourbon? No, just what do you understand about it? And I go, like, she says, you want to kill yourself, right? Right. That's un- my life's unmanageable. You're at the end. And I said, yeah. She said, okay. That's, that's enough. That's 100%. 100% isn't understanding. And 100% is, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. The short version is, you know, uh, that's the short version. And uh, I was there. I didn't even recognize the bottom. Let me tell you what a one, step one felt like. It felt like last resort. AA felt like it, I'm in AA as a last resort. But it was called hope. But I felt like a last resort. So thank God for somebody that was thinking for me. Because I couldn't understand it. And uh, we're sitting in a meeting. And, and uh, I, I, every, every morning I call her. And she wouldn't sit in the same meeting with me. Because she knew I would try to impress her about how miserable I am or something. But she'd be in the one next door, door or something like that. And then she'd call and she'd go, how was your meeting? And I said, I, I don't, I, I was good. I don't know if a good or bad. I don't know what a bad meeting is. And uh, she, she said, well, what is the problem? I said, I just don't understand what they're talking about. They're, they're laughing at the things that are killing me. And they're serious about the things they laugh, laugh at. And uh, she said, oh, oh, you're not, Okay. She said, there's something that you have to have to stay here, and it's called how? Honesty, open-minded, and willingness. And she said, to get that, I'm going to give you a tool. You use it, and God will do the rest. And remember her God. Not mine. I haven't got one yet. And uh, I said, well, how do I get it? She, she here's what's one, and I'm going to give you this tool. I've given this tool at every talk. It works. I don't care who you are. No one has ever came up and said, I used that tool, and it didn't work. In the moment of silence, all over the world in AA, we have a moment of silence. And this is what I say, even tonight I said it. Let me hear what you want me to hear. Let me share what you want me to share. And I'm willing to have an open mind. Because I have to have that to to hear. I'm going to meetings to hear. And I had to write it down. So I wrote it down. I go to the meeting. And this is how they opened it. Let's start with the moment of silence for any prayer. God, grant me this. I went, hey. Hey, and the guy says, yes, artist. And I said, I take a more, more time. I, I don't know this by heart like you guys do. So he went, okay, we'll start the meeting over for artists. And there was a, was a little longer, and I, I read that to myself. And for the first time in my whole entire existence, I heard you. I heard you. I heard, remember in a straight meeting, I heard a ball-scratching, redneck cowboy 
share something I felt. <laughs> I went, oh. And I heard a, a, a housewife share something that I was going through. I heard people I've never had anything to do with. I've been beat up by them. I've been beat up for being gay many times. I have beauty from it. I have... I. I just have never related it to that world. And here I am, this wild lesbian seeing that they don't know I'm a lesbian. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm hearing and I, I was overwhelmed with it. I heard men share feelings. I got seven brothers and never heard them share a feeling. Ever, ever, ever. And it just started from there. And I started going through the steps. Came to believe that a power greater myself would restore me to sanity. I was totally insane. And, and I've said many times to Beverly, I would say, restore to sanity. She goes, I don't think you've ever had it. <laughs> so we're going to look at that a little different. <laughs> and she's right. There's some of us that never had us. I came from an alcoholic home. I was raised with alcoholic thoughts, alcoholic behavior here. I had no idea what a sane mind sounded like or heard, talked, or felt. So she said, and you can do this, read the second step in the 12 and 12, and it talks about what keeps you from a power that works. There were three specific things that I remember, indifference, fancy self-sufficiency, and prejudice. And she, we would go through it, and she'd say, let's look at these artists. And I go, what? And she'd say, how about... Uh, Prejudice. I, said, I am not prejudiced of any race. I can't even pass for white. I said, I have, I have to prove I'm white to get to the public schools because I'm Indian. And uh, she said, that's not what it means. It means just prejudice of anything. I said, what am I possibly to be prejudiced of? And she said, men. I went, oh, you're right. Right. <laughs> right. Hate them. Don't want to touch one of those things. Don't want to go near it. She said, well, let's put that down. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I went to, she said, indifference. I go, what is indifference? And she always had me look up words. I love that workshop where the guy, I can't remember his name, forgive me. He looked up the word, what does that mean? We do not use these words in alcoholic world, indifference. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, in the 12 and 12, I had a problem with, uh, there's a sentence that says, they threw character building to the wayside, chasing after what they thought was happiness. I was too, one of the speakers mentioned it. I was called a character in a bar. So I thought, character building, does that mean I'm going to get a bigger character out of me? So I had to look the word up, and it meant good qualities. I went, whoa, I didn't know that. So anyway, we're looking at another word in there, and it says indifference. And I go, what's that? She goes, indifference means I don't give a damn if it does. I don't give a damn if it doesn't. I don't care if I live. I don't care if I die. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And I won't, I'm on a fence. So I thought, oh, okay. So she said, put that down. And then it was fancy self-sufficiency. I said, oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to marry and have a man take care of me because that's all I saw. She goes, where did you get that idea? I said, well, that's what you guys do in here, isn't it? And uh, she goes, no, it means that. Fancy self-sufficiency means I don't need a sponsor. I don't need to work at like the first hundred drunks in the big book. I don't need to follow the guidelines, the 12 traditions. I'll do it my way. Well, from 1980 to 1983, I did it my way. And uh, 
One of the things that it says, if you listen carefully to how it works, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Whose path? My therapist? No. My lover? No. Our path, the alcoholic that's walked this path through the steps and through the 12 traditions. And um, so I said, oh. She said, self-sufficiency is fine, but fancy thinking you can do it alone. So I wrote that down. We go on to the third step. Made a decision to turn my will and my life over to care of God as I understand him. I said, how, how do you do that? And she said, well, we're going to, the will is my thought, my life is my action. She said, we're going to do a fourth step. I went, okay. Now, she's having me do a morning meditation every morning and at night. I'm going to meetings. I'm going through the steps. And still I'm saying, as soon as I prove these don't work, I can get out of here. You know? In that meeting, boom, I'm out of here, tape, video, we're off. And we go to the fourth step. And the fourth step, we, uh, she, she made me do it out of the big book. I still do it out of the big book. And uh, I wrote everything in my first fourth step, everything I disliked about God. See, I have a resentment at God. Because all Robert said <laughs> that we're going to go to hell and die for eternally. And I tell you, in Oklahoma, those that have been to Tulsa, there is a group there called Homosexuals Anonymous. It is for gay people who want to go straight. And if I, I was so afraid that they were going to send me there. And uh, I have to tell you, after a few years, it, I think it was, no, not a few years. I think we had Jody, this lesbian. I like to tell this part. I think we had a year and a half, and we went to Homosexuals Anonymous meeting parking lot, and we waited in the parking lot to see when that meeting was over to see if anybody wanted to relapse. (laughs) And we go there all the time. And we were sitting in a car one night, and... And Jody, she's, she's a beautiful redhead, you know, one of those lipstick lesbians that just has a little butch to her. And uh, she was sitting there, and we're sitting in the parking lot looking at the people coming out of the homosexual anonymous meeting. She starts screaming and yelling. Her ex-lover was in there. <laughs> and she jumped out of the car, and you bitch, you're not going to go to that goddamn, and then, then, things started happening. I mean, it was just that, dream, that, that crisis stuff we love. And uh, I have to tell you, I sponsored a lot of women from that meeting. I did. They would come to AA and they'd wind up really, really is a scary place to be. It's very big in Tulsa. Anyway, <laughs> back to, anyway, so I'm doing a four-step and I wrote to God. I, my parents didn't go to church. A preacher lost a shuffleboard game to my mother in a bar. And uh, the bet was that if she won, he had to buy her drinks all night. And if he won, I had to go to his Bible school. That, and she lost. And I had to go to, it was for three weeks, just a little Bible school. And that was the only time, the only thing I knew was Jesus was coming back, heads were going to roll. <laughs> it was bad news. <laughs> so anyway, I'm writing in the four step all the stuff that I had learned. And uh, I, 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 believed, I believed in God and I believed in Jesus. I believed in all that stuff, but they were so scary. So I wrote all that down, all my resentments. My first fourth step was a lot about God because uh, of being gay and being beat up for it and uh, being molested and being all those things that happened to us and, um, and watching gay men get beat up and I can't help them. It's a terrible place to be. And uh, 
I told Beverly when, and she said, now we're going to admit to God ourselves and uh, admit to one person ourselves and God the exact nature of our wrongs. I said, what does that mean? And she said, we're going to sit down and invite God in and you're going to read this to me. And I wrote all my fears and all my secrets. And I remember telling her, Beverly, when God strikes me dead for this, I want to thank you for helping me. And she said, read the fifth step. I said, I know, I know, I'm going to read it. But when it happens, will you remember this? And she goes, yes. And I just had dinner with her a couple of months ago, and she said, I really did scoot my chair back a little bit, didn't I? Yeah. Because she knows that Oklahoma Baptist, it's just Pentecostal. So I started reading it, and I have to tell you that I did have a profound spiritual awakening. I read it just, I was, that was, I was rigorously honest because I thought I was going to die. Who cares when you're going to die? You don't have to wait till you're going to die to be rigorously honest. But I was so honest, and something happened to me, and Beverly saw it too. It was like when I was done, it's like I felt this overwhelming love that it just, all through my body, mind, and soul, and no one was there. And I hadn't changed yet. I just was honest. And then she took me through six and seven, and we had to look at all the character defects that were destroying me. And then I made a list of all people we harmed and made willing to make amends to them all. I had a big list. I had to pray for them. For, oh, my God, I had to pray for them every morning till I got to step nine. I wanted step nine. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted it. I was tired of praying for these assholes. I want to, well, I got to step nine. Oh, my God. Make a direct amends whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. I just couldn't, oh, but I was willing. And there's so many, I want to share with you an amends that was so powerful. When I was in high school, I was the ugliest girl in high school. It wasn't in my head I was the ugliest girl in high school. They told me I was. They had. They was written all over the place. I was the ugly girl in high school. I wasn't psychologically in there. It was there. I saw it. The first time I ever prayed to God was in high school. I said, God, can't you send an uglier girl to this school? <laughs> and I swear to God, true story. And he did. <laughs> And do you know that when she came, I remember, I can still see it. She came on, and I went, oh, my God. <laughs> the part of me that had been persecuted for all those years in high school, I did something that just disgusted me, even when I was doing it. I started doing to her what they had done to me. I started belittling her and making fun of her and writing her name in the bathroom mirror. She was the ugliest girl's. And all those years, it bothered me. All those years, and it took four, four steps to reach that. Four times completely through the steps before I ever got to that part of me. And I, I was on the ninth step, and I said, what do I do? And she says, you know, you just need to be willing to uh, make amends to her if you see her. I said, good God, I haven't seen her in 25 years. And she goes, well... She said, don't underestimate God. And I went, oh, yeah, right. So I go to Penny's. 
And you'll never guess where she was in the makeup department. And she hadn't changed a bit. And I, I just stood there, and I, I was overwhelmed. And I went up to her, made a direct amends. I knew exactly, because Beverly and I had talked about what I would do. We went through the nine step together. And I went up to her, and I said, hi, I'm artist. We went to high school together. And she goes, yeah, I remember you. I said, and I made my direct amends, and I said, I want to tell you how sorry, and I asked you to forgive me for what I did to you, making fun of you. Uh, and, and she goes, that's all right. I could take it. I never saw myself as ugly like you did. And I went, ooh, well. <laughs> she said, my parents told me I was beautiful, and I believe it. And she goes, I could handle it, and you couldn't. And, and she said, I forgive you. And I said, thank you. And I walked away, and I, I didn't know what to say. I, you know, there's a part of you wants to go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> there is that part of us. But thank God I did exactly what I was told to do. Well, the strange thing was I was so excited about that amends. I told my home group. I got a bunch of my home group friends. I said, let's go back to Penny's. I want to show you her. <laughs> so we go back to Penny's to show her, to show them how I went, kind of, there was a part of me wanted to see, see how really ugly she was. Okay, and we went to back to Penny's, and, and she wasn't there. I said, where's the girl that was working the makeup? She goes, oh, she was only here a few days. She's gone. Oh, my God, that's too spooky. We all go back to our meeting. We're <laughs> like, whoa, that is spooky. So that's the kind of amends I get. And, 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 and there's, there, I want to share with you that on the 11th and 12th step, which I do constantly, I do work with others. I, I, I sought through merit, prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. And one day I have, I, I want to tell you how I got my own God. I don't get to share it a lot, but I was in my home group, and they, they let newcomers share a meeting, um, and here's how you share a meeting. Next, next. That's all you say, because reading, sharing, reading, sharing. So you don't really get up and tell your story. You know, call me, you just go, next. And you, uh, and you open up, you know, like they did here, read how it works and all that stuff. So I did that, and I was... Uh, it came uh, Friday night, and they said, oh, artist, you've got you to get a speaker. I went, oh, me? I said, yeah, you're the chairperson. So what they had you do in Tulsa was you had to go to all the straight meetings, and there were no gays, so you had to find a speaker and bring them back to your home group. And I said, well, how am I going to know what a good speaker is? And my sponsor said, you ask God, and he will show you the right person to pick. And I go, yeah, Okay. So I did. I went to God and I said, God, Beverly said that you're going to pick a speaker for me. I'm still having a little hard time, but I'm, I've had my spiritual awakening, okay? So I go and I told God, I said, I'm going to go to all the meetings. You tell me which one. We'll get this thing over with. So I go to a bunch of meetings, and I'm sitting in a meeting where they're sitting in a circle, and, and uh, this guy, he starts sharing, and something in me. And they, they teach us to listen to the inner voice. It's not an audible voice. It's an it's a, it's a inner thing. And, and something inside me said him. And I immediately said, not him. I can't stand that guy. That, God must be having a bad day because that's not the guy I'm going to pick. So I just ignored him. We'll call him Tom. Just to, it's not wasn't his name. 
And I go around here, and this other guy was sharing, and oh, he was so spiritual. He shared some of the most neatest stuff I've ever heard. So his name, I'll call him Bob. So I went to Bob and said, Bob, we need a speaker on, it was Thursday night at, at 7 o'clock. Would you speak at our group? He said, oh, it would be an honor. I'll be there. I said, thank you, and I left. I go home. I'm from work on Thursday night. The phone's ringing. It's Tom. Tom said that Bob had an emergency and asked him to speak. <laughs> I said, what? He said, Tom had an emergency come up and he asked me to speak. Where's it at? I said, do you know Bob? And he goes, no, he just came up to me in a meeting. So I said, oh, I told him where it was at. And I went to the meeting, and a girl named Deb was sitting there. She goes, did you get a speaker? I went, no, God got the speaker. I said, and I'm not introducing him. And what, she goes, well, I said, I'm not introducing him. I don't like the guy. He's, he's Mr. I just, ew. He, was one, he had one of those things. I don't want to touch it, la, la, la. And um, she said, okay. So do you remember um, that tool I gave you? Let me hear what you want me to hear. Let me share what you want me to share. And I'm willing to have an open mind. Well, I say that at every meeting. She got up there. We had a moment of silence. I said that. Uh, he was late. A couple minutes late. I said, see? <laughs> and uh, he walks in with women wrapped around him. I think it was really envious of his women. <laughs> but he came in and Deb introduced him and he, he spoke and before he spoke we had the moment of silence and I listened and he, he gave a, a talk that was overwhelming to me. I I was I still am touched by what he said and I, I totally related and I was just awed and all of a sudden I realized though I felt like God was with me going, Hello, do you not understand that I I, I know what's best for you? You know, it was like somebody was sitting next to me laughing with a joy of, of being joyful about it and funny. And, and uh, Deb leaned over and said, don't miss the message because of the messenger. And I said, you know, you're right. I almost missed the message because of the messenger. So if you're ever in a meeting and you can't stand the messenger, say that prayer and you'll hear the me- message. And I, I said, do I have him in a man? She goes, no, you didn't say anything to him. But I, I needed to, and I went up and gave him a hug, and I've had my concept of my own higher power ever since. And it was, you know, don't, don't miss the message because of the messenger, and I'm going to do my will in your, in your life whether you like it or not. That's, that's the kind of God I got, and I like that. I don't understand God really, but God does understand me. And my life has is, is changed so much. I just keep going through the steps. And about ten years in sobriety... Every morning in my morning meditation, I would write this. I said, God, let me meet a woman who is spiritual, who can spiritually nurture me as I nurture her. Let me meet a woman I can grow old with and that we can talk about recovery and, and we can be part of this great journey I'm on. Let me, let me meet her. Uh, for ten years, I was having the worst relationships in AA I had ever had. I've been going to Al-Anon learning to what emotional sobriety is and what's your problem, what's my problem, and what's our problem. And, 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 she, and I, I met her. She came. <laughs> and I didn't even know God was into the dating game or I would have went sooner. <laughs> but I met her at an open meeting, and um, I had written a list of what I wanted, and she was everything on that list. And I like to share this part because it's a very, it was a turning point. 
a very big turning point in my recovery after 10 years. You know, we have bottoms in sobriety. I don't want to scare anybody, but we have real bottoms in sobriety. That's why long-timers, you're not seeing a lot of us, because we're not talking about how we're handling the long-term sobriety bottoms. And I hit this bottom. No, I had this woman, and uh, my prayers had been answered. And I had been dating other women, but it wasn't working. And each time I was in a relationship in AA and it ended, my sponsor would have me take it through the steps and look at my part so I, I don't carry the baggage into the next relationship. She used to say, artist, you came with a U-Haul of baggage. I only want you to take a fanny bag into your next relationship. <laughs> a fanny bag. So I, 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 I like to... Sh- to tell you about this, I had a bedroom in Oklahoma, had all paneled windows with a fireplace, and it was snowing, and Celise Dion was on the stereo, and she's in bed with me, and we're talking. One thing I really loved about her is you could talk to her uh, before coffee. <laughs> I love those kind of women. You don't, they, you know, I've always had those women, don't talk to me, I'm having my coffee. That's fine if you're that type, but you'll never be in my bedroom. And, uh, and that's, I just could, I'm a type that wakes up happy. And, uh, and, and, and the thing about her was that she, w- she was a hospice nurse. And a hospice nurse helps people die. They, and she was beautiful at it because I'm in the medical field and I'd have a beeper on, she'd have a beeper on. And one day I got stuck with her and I had to go with her to help this man die. And I watched her and what a touching, what a gift she had. I'm helping him to live, she's helping him to die. Well, we're, oh, we're made in heaven. And we're laying in bed, and I'm telling her, I never told her that, that I bought this list. And I said, you know, I made this list, and uh, I said, um, you're everything on it. Everything that's on that list, you, you have. I said, and I just, the thought of just growing older with you just touches me so deeply. And she, she, she put her hand on this cheek, and she said, artist, that is so beautiful, but I don't want to grow old with you. And my heart shattered. It was like every, the lights went on or something. It was like the fire went out, the snow stopped. I don't know what happened. It's like the whole world stopped when she said that. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, you know, I have a list. And you're not on it. You're not completing it. And I asked her what it was about me that, that she didn't want to grow old with me. And it was, I, don't, I won't put her before my recovery. She wasn't a drunk. She didn't like it when I went on 12-step calls. She, she even laid nude in front of the fireplace one time playing the flute, which she played very well. <laughs> and I was going to go meet a new sponsoree. I'll never forget, I was going to the door, and she goes, Artist? And I went, Yeah, oh. She said, Why don't you stay home? And I go, i got to meet a new person, but I'll be right back. <laughs> She goes, why don't you just call somebody else? Because she, she made it. She didn't understand this place. You don't call somebody else and say that. It was my responsibility. And I went and did my 12-step call and got a sponsor. And, and, you know, it caused riffles. I'm not saying she, she loved AA people, but she wanted to be, she told me I want to be first in someone's life, not fourth. Because my priorities are this. God and sobriety are first, then the newcomer, then me, then the lover. And, and it took me a long time to get that priority list. And I, I like it. You don't have to use it. I'm using it. And it works fine for me. And when the breakup happened, I, 
I, I was very, I, I, what are you going to date when you've already gotten what you've always wanted? What, what do you do with your life after that? And I have to tell you, she dated another woman in AA with 12 years. And that woman put her first, and that woman relapsed. And I've talked to her a couple of times since then, you know, and it's, it's, about, it's about priorities for me. I'm not going to give up my meetings for anyone, nor am I going to give up my, my uh, sponsorship or any of that. I know the difference now. I used to, I, 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 and if you do that, that's fine. If, you, if AA is to build you up so you can go back out in society and be a part of that, that's fine. Society doesn't have anything I want. I've been out there. Uh, they don't even know this language. They don't even know what the principles mean. And when, when that happened, about two months later, my brother died of alcoholism. I had to watch him die from it. And uh, sitting on the bed, and the medicine man was doing the dance over him. He was in a coma, an alcoholic coma. She had left me, and he's dying, and I'm looking. And we're all sitting around the bed. Everybody's drunk but me. And the medicine man's doing his uh, uh, spiritual dance around Ronnie, trying to get Ronnie out of the coma. Ronnie comes out of the coma. He doesn't ask for his wife, his kids. He asks for a beer. And you know what? He went right back into the coma and died. And then another month later, my dad died of the same thing, alcoholism. Then I lose my registry because I can't, I can't focus. I'm at, at, I've got 10 or 11 years, and I can't, I, I'm losing everything that AA taught me. It's what's happening to me. I'll tell you, it's a very slow process. I thought I had this thing. I started judging the meetings, judging the speakers, getting arrogant about my sobriety. I'm the only one that can do it right. Uh, I started, I was just absolutely, totally into ego and pride and all the seven deadly sins. And I, I went from a meeting, and I'm sitting in meetings. All this is happening to me. I go to a meeting and they go, hi, I'm artist, I'm alcoholic, and I'm doing great. What's your problem? You know? And I, do, I wouldn't share anything anymore because you don't have, you understand, you don't have enough time in the program to understand. And let me tell you what time in the program means. Uh, years in the program is like stacking marbles. <laughs> it doesn't guarantee anything, not one solitary thing. Time in the program means I know how to make coffee. I can set up a meeting. I know the steps. I have experience. No, 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 I don't know the steps. I have experience in the steps. I have experience in the 12 traditions. I have experience in sponsoring and being sponsored. But guarantee my sobriety, no. My sobriety is contingent on my spiritual condition. And to stay here is a long time or I have to expand my spiritual world. And at 10 to 11 years, whenever that time was, I can't remember, I was spiritually dead and sober. One resentment cuts off the sunlight of the spirit. I had hundreds. And not talking about it in meetings because I have an image. I have an image to, to, to do in AA. You can't be hip, slick, and cool and spiritual. I've tried it. It just, they too, it's like, it doesn't mix. And so I go home from a meeting, and this is why, newcomer, the foundation is so important to be built that first early sobriety. I had a great foundation that was given to me by Beverly and my home group. And I went home to kill myself with uh, double digit sobriety. And uh, I went in and I was going to. Uh, the pain was so overwhelming. I can't describe what it's like to be sober and so, so much pain. And uh, I had a gun, and I thought, if I shoot my foot, 
that would be easier than the pain I was going through. But before I do that, I got to call somebody. Because you got to call before you take a drink, a pill, commit suicide, or get married. <laughs> you got you to call before you do any of those things. And years of doing that, which I would call before I took a drink or a pill, and before I moved in or she moved in, I would do that. And I called, and uh, my sponsor wasn't home, but I got a hold of one of the gay guys in the meeting. Now, this is years later, and we've got gay guys in the meetings. And I called him, and I said, Christopher, I'm, uh, I'm just calling because I'm at, I can't go on like this. I just want to die, and I don't want to hear a slogan. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, well, just wait, wait, I'll be right there. He only lived a couple blocks over. So he came in the house, he had, and a lot of the gay guys would come over and just have coffee or something, you know, and Christopher came in, and I'm by the fireplace, I'm thinking, should I turn on the gas or just shoot the bullet, turn on the gas or shoot the bullet, and he comes in, and he stands in the doorway, and he looks at me, and he says, girl, you cannot kill yourself with your hair looking like that. <laughs> he said, let's get the hair done. And you know what he says? People are going to be tracing through here, artists. We've got to get this place in order. If you're going and I said, oh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, you're right. People will be coming through here. We don't want them to think I'm a slob. So he did. He fixed my hair. I had long hair. He fixed it, and we cleaned the place up. And the depression got, why he, somewhere in between there, he called my sponsor. They took me to a mental institution, and they, they locked me up because I was suicidal with the 11, 10 or 11 years of sobriety. I didn't take a drink or a pill. But here's the part that where God showed up, and I could, it's at a turning point again. I'm sitting in a mental institution sober, and all these patients come out of this room, and I'm worried about what they think of me. I'm worried about what mental patients think of me. That's how, I mean, that's where I was. And then there was this girl, she was hopping around, hopping around, hopping around, hopping around, hopping around. I said, would you sit the hell down? And she slumped down beside me, and I looked down, and her foot was gone. I said, Where the, where's your foot? She goes, I shot it off. Oh, <laughs> uh, you don't think God has a sense of humor? My sponsor came to see me. I had to stay three days. They weren't going to let me out. How do you convince them I had an awakening? I'm okay now. <laughs> You can't do that in the psychiatric field. They don't understand awakening. I said, look, I just, God just, I had an awakening, let me out. And they go, no, we, we better keep you on observation. I go, I'm telling you, I'm, I, know, I know what, and I got out and I started my program completely over. I started it completely over. That's what's so great about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can start over. I started over. I got my sponsor. I started working. I got honest. I went through the steps again. And I have, my life is just unbelievable. I am so grateful 
that I have what I have today. I am in um, Austin, Texas, because it, I did step three. It took me three. It took me ten years to grasp the real meaning of step three. Ten years of thinking I'm working step three, which I was, and it was okay. It was the best I could do. My life has changed. I've I've lost. My career, I've been broken AA, and God gave me my career back. I've had miracle after miracle. But there are turning points to them. They come just like a fork in a road. And I have to have the guidance to know which way to go. Don't take the drink. Don't take the pill. Don't kill yourself. Let her go. <laughs> and, and reach out and see what happens. Because you can have all that if it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, you can have all that. And you know what? I've, I've proved, I worked this program to prove it wouldn't work, and it's been working for 19 years. And I kept trying to prove it wouldn't work. What a, what a, thank God that Alcoholics Anonymous, my sobriety isn't contingent on what I think. It's on what I do. Oh, what a, what a wonderful life I have. And that woman that left... She told me something that I would, I, I would not understand. She said, artist, whatever it, is, whatever it is in me that you want, you already have it in yourself. I said, oh, you're just sending me towards the light. You know, that's, <laughs> and I didn't understand what she meant. And about four or five years ago, true as can be, I woke up, I was old, I was alone, and I was in love. God gave me that woman I wanted. He gave me me. I fell in love with me. I know it sounds weird, but I'm telling you, you're going to be after a hell of a woman to beat me. Because <laughs> I am, I'm whole, W-H-O-L-E, that void that we're always looking for to fill has been filled with a higher power. And I feel the wholeness. And it's like, here I am and here's God. And the more I work on me, the closer I get to God. And you know what? If I don't like myself, I'm never going to be able to like you. And, and it, that's, the, that's the thing I've learned. So I am in love today, and I have a wonderful lover, and it is me. I hope to meet a woman someday, and guess what I want? A woman just like me. <laughs> oh, a little thinner. <laughs> I'm not perfect. But I want to close. I want to close. And, and if I ran over and you're all upset about it, what do you do? Call your sponsor. In the big book, in the big book, which I too like the stories in the back, I've read them all many, many times on assignment, on assignment sometimes, and sometimes on my own. But in, there is a, a, a story, it's called the, the Keys to the Kingdom, and I, I've always liked it. Uh, Mitch used to read it a lot. I don't know if you all ever heard Mitch's story. Of course, I had it marked. And um, there's a part that I want to read, and then I'm going to close. And then I'm going to put on the hat that I didn't wear for Peggy. And um, if you're, uh, uh, and understand this is my uh, culture that, um, that I'm doing. It's, it's, it's my culture. I'm an Indian. I didn't drink because you stole my land. Okay. Bear with me. I know where. Oh, here. 
they had to change one word in it. It says after, it says the last 15 years, and I'm going to put 19. The last 19 years of my life have been rich and meaningful. I have had my share of problems, heartaches, and disappointments because that is life. But also I have, I have, also I have known a great deal of joy and peace that is in the handmaiden of inner freedom. I have a wealth of friends and with my AA friends as unusual quality of fellowship. For to these people, I am truly related, first through mutual pain and despair and later through mutual objectives and newfound faith and hope. And as the years go by, working together, sharing our experiences with one another, and also sharing a mutual trust and understanding and love, without strings, without obligations, we acquire relationships that are unique and priceless. There is no more aloneness with that awful ache so deep in the heart of every alcoholic that nothing before could ever reach it. The ache is gone and never need to return again. Now there is a sense of belonging, of being a needed and loved. In return for a bottle and a hangover, we have been, been given the keys of the kingdom. And, and with that, I'm going to close. And uh, this is the hat that I wear up in. Rhinelander, Wisconsin, to work every day. <laughs> Is that not something? Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.